fuck it. <laughs> I don't have uh, I don't have an intro made, so <laughs> let's just do some wannabe gangster shit real quick. Fuck it. Let's go. Welcome to Nabi, covering sports of all sorts. If there's any breaking news, you know we got the report. Our one and only goal is to make this your podcast resort. Get you your favorite team updates, both on and off of the court. Breaking down everything. NFL, NBA, MMA, not much a soccer fan, but might even cover Team USA. Is KD leaving Golden State? Is Jordan really the GOAT? Is LeBron comfortable in LA? We'll keep the team afloat. If GSP fights Khabib, we fight him toe to toe. While the Fury rematch, who's always gonna go? We'll cover everything and anything you wanna know. Whatever it may be, we'll break it all down on the show. What is up, everybody? This is Nabi Podcast. I'm your host, Sani Nabi. This is episode 7, uh, ah shit, 17, damn, getting a little ahead of myself, <laughs> this is episode 16, this is gonna be the um, UFC 241 preview and breakdown episode, UFC 241, Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier, it's gonna be the preview and breakdown episode, but before we get started, uh, a few quick mentions, one, if you are new to the show, don't already know, Nabi Podcast is on iTunes and Spotify, if you're a user on either platform, please look me up and please subscribe. Also, quick shout out to my sponsor and very good friend, longtime friend, Smokey Hash. He makes CBD products from edibles to oils. If you are not familiar with CBD, there are many great benefits from it, especially great for people like me who deals with depression along with heavy anxiety. Another major benefit is that it is also a great recovery method after hard workouts, after training. Uh, follow him on Instagram at Smokey Hash LLC for your CBD products. Thanks again, Smokey. Uh, last quick shout out to my partners at Champs Boxing Club. It is my local boxing gym located in Danbury, Connecticut. The address is 128 East Liberty Street. If you are looking for a new boxing gym to get into that has a great environment, this is 100% that gym to go to. Between the affordable prices, the number of USA boxing certified trainers, classes you know uh, that's provided along with the top of the line equipment, this is definitely the gym to go to. All levels and ages are welcome from youths to adults. I completely love this gym. My, my girlfriend AJ, who is the uh, co-owner, is one of the greatest dudes you could come in contact with. If you ever want to look into stopping by, go there, look for him, and tell him I sent you. He will 100% take care of you. Great gym, great people. Um, Alright, now let's get into the episode. How is everyone doing? This, like I said, is episode 16. Gonna be the UFC 241 preview and breakdown. First, we're gonna go down the um, go down the card, you know. And then uh, I'm going to pick two uh, prelim fights that I'm uh, mostly looking forward to. We're going to break those two down. And then we're going to break down the whole uh, main card. But, um, alright. The event is taking place Saturday, August 17th. This Saturday. And, um, yep. So the main event is a heavyweight championship bout between Daniel Cormier. 22-1-0 with one no contest. Taking on the former champ, Stipe Miocic, who is 18-3-0. Uh, co-main event is a welterweight bout between Anthony Showtime Pettis, 22-8-0, taking on Nate Diaz, 19-11-0. The fight before that is a middleweight bout between Joel Romero, who is 13-3-0, taking on Paulo Costa, 12-0-0. Before that, it is a featherweight bout between Gabriel Benitez, 21-6-0, taking on Sodik Youssef, who is 9-1-0. And to kick off the main card, it's a middleweight bout between Derek Brunson, 19-7-0, taking on Ian Heinish, who is 13-1-0. And on the prelims, the uh, feature prelim bout is a lightweight fight between Devontae Smith, 10-1-0, taking on Kama Worthy. Is it? What the fuck? Aw, oh, damn, they literally gave him a fucking another new opponent? Ah, damn. I literally fucking... ah, I got notes. This was one of the two prelim fights I was looking forward to. And I got notes for it. For a completely different... ah, Jesus. Ah, Alright. Alright, fuck it. Well, I'll see what I can do with that. (laughs) Ah, Before... 
I'd even name his opponent. He's fighting. He's now fighting a dude named Kama Worthy, who's 12, 6, and 0. Uh, before that is a bantamweight bout between Rafael Sunsau, who is 27, 6, and 0, and he's taking on Corey Sandhagen, who is 11, 1, and 0. Before that, it's a lightweight bout between Cristo Giagos, who is 17, 7, and 0, taking on Drakkar Klaus, who is 10, 1, and 1. And to kick off the prelims, it is a bantamweight fight between Manny Bermudez, 14, 0, and 0, taking on Casey Kenny, who is 12, 1, and 1. And on the early prelims, um, it is a woman's strawweight bout between Hannah Cyphers, who is 9, 3, and 0, taking on Jody Escabel, who is 6, 5, and 0. Before that is a bantamweight bout between Kang Kyung Ho, who is 15, 8, and 0, with one no contest, taking on Brandon Davis, who is 10, 5, and 0. And to kick off the whole um, event, it is a woman's flyweight bout between Sabina Mazo, who is 6, 1, and 0, and she's taking on Shayna Dobson, who is 3, 2, and 0. Alright, like I said, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick two prelim fights that I'm looking most forward to, and I'm gonna break that down. And we're gonna start with the uh, bantamweight bout between Rafael Sunsau taking on Corey Sandhagen. We're gonna start with uh, going down the last three fights of each fighter, starting with Sunsau. His last fight was against Marlon Moraes, which he lost by submission uh, via guillotine in round one. That was in February 2019. Before that, he fought Rob Font. He won that fight uh, via unanimous decision in July of 2018. And before that, he fought Matthew Lopez. He won that fight by KO in round three. And that was in November 2017. And the last three fights for Corey Sandhagen. His last fight was against John Lineker. He won that fight via split decision in April 2019. Before that, he fought Mario Batista, and he won that fight via submission uh, via armbar in round one in January of 2019, earlier this year. So he's he's staying pretty busy this year. This is going to be a third fight this year. Uh, before that, though, he fought Yuri Alcantara. He won that fight by KO in round two, and that was in August of 2018. But uh, all right, we're going to go right into the keys to victory and uh, thoughts, starting for uh, Rafael Asuncao. All right, one... Corey loves to fight while being on the move, you know what I mean? He will never stand right in front of the opponent for long periods of time. A Sun Sao needs to be ready to, uh, you know, push the pressure and get right into Corey's face. And he needs to be prepared for Corey's movement right after he throws his strikes. When Corey decides to throw, he, uh, he plants pretty hard on his front foot, uh, you know, for the strikes. But he gets right out of the way right after he throws that strike. Asansao needs to try and land heavy leg kicks every time Corey decides to throw off of, um, you know, the planted foot. Um, Asansao needs to land those fucking kicks to the lead leg, uh, to the lead foot, and, uh, you know, that's he that's being heavily planted on, and chop the fuck out of that fucking leg, you know what I mean? All throughout the fight, and he needs to, like, completely neutralize Corey's movement by doing that. Uh, if Corey can get his movement going with the footwork, you know what I mean? Then that's when he starts to look, uh, you know, really good. You know what I'm saying? But if he can't, of course, that's when he starts looking pretty fucking bad. And, uh, you know, it starts looking stationary. And um, with Corey having the five-inch height advantage, that would be a key factor in the Sun Sao to chop the fucking legs up. You know what I mean? In the Sun Sao's last few fights, he wasn't really utilizing the leg kicks. Um, but in this fight, he really needs to in order to, you know, completely fuck up Corey's great movement. Corey likes to call himself uh, the better version of Dominic Cruz, you know what I mean? And in a way, he is, you know, with like how much cleaner his shots are, throwing off, um, you know, off of the movement and the footwork. But in the sense of movement in general, he's not better than Dominic Cruz when it comes to the movement, you know what I mean? The strikes coming off of the movement, maybe, you know what I mean? Because Dominic throws like looping, like wild shots and it doesn't look the best. So, you know, in that case, maybe, but uh, nah, B. <laughs> Uh, we talk about movement, that's Dom all day in my opinion, in my opinion at least, you know what I mean, um, but alright, moving on to the second key for Asuncao, uh, and thought, going back to the uh, big height difference, Asuncao needs to figure out a way to get on the inside and land uh, heavy body shots to the uh, lankier fighter in Corey. Corey isn't super tall or anything, you know what I mean, uh, he's only 5'9", but Asuncao was 5'4", so, you know what I mean, this fight that di that difference is major, you know what I mean, 
Um, but his sunstone needs to make his way on the inside and rip Corey's body up with heavy punches along with the leg kicks, you know what I mean? Uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Corey loves to be the one pushing his opponent back, but as it's shown in his fight with Lineker, he tends to leave his body open when he comes forward. Uh, you know what I mean? With his own strikes, he tends to leave his body open and mostly covers up to the head. When Lineker would um, blitz in with haymakers and shit, Corey would just cover up while moving backwards, uh, cover up the top while moving backwards, but usually he would get out of the way by the third strike, you know what I mean? Um, but there was moments where Lineker was landing, like, really good heavy shots, so, you know what I mean, that shows that he is prone to get hit as, you know what I mean, as the opponent gets closer and, um, you know what I mean, starts backing him up. Corey loves to pop the jab all fight, you know what I mean, especially against a shorter opponent. And like I said earlier, this is a five-inch five, uh, five inch height difference, so he will definitely look to do that shit all fight here. A Sun Sao needs to be ready for that shit and has to have his uh, weaving ability uh, on point for this shit, you know what I mean? So um, again, he could work his way on the inside and work the body shots. Um, when Corey fought Lineker, he definitely slowed down from the first to the second round. And, uh, you know, I mean, he was still light on his feet, but the speed wasn't all there, you know what I mean, as uh, as as it was in the first round. A Sun Tso usually has the same pace all fight and needs to do that shit this fight and just can't let Corey dance around. Once he sees Corey slow down, he needs to be the one that's pushing the pressure right away, you know what I mean? Um, the last key and thought for a Sun Tso that I got, again, going back to this, you know, kind of going back to something with the height difference. Corey loves to try and show off with the flashy strikes, you know what I mean, against a shorter opponent. In his fight with Lineker, he was trying to throw jumping knees a few times and shit. And um, he even tried a uh, cartwheel kick. It, you know, it looked horrible, but he still tried it. <laughs> but um, regardless, he loves to take advantage of that and, uh, you know, tries to utilize his uh, size difference and tries to land flying knees and shit. A sun ah, a sun a Sun Sao being the, you know, five inches shorter, it's almost certain that he's going to try to throw that shit this fight. A Sun Sao needs to make this a gritty fight and get a few takedowns and control the fight down there on the ground and win some rounds by grinding it out. And uh, when Corey tries to throw those flying knees, a Sun Sao needs to fucking look to, you know what I mean, move his head out of the center line and try to grab the fucking, you know what I mean, try to grab for the leg that uh, he's throwing the knee with, you know what I mean? And, um try to get a hold of him midair and throw his fucking ass down for a takedown get on top grind it out you know what i mean don't let the fight take place on the feet all fight because that will just feed into what Corey is best at you know what i mean chop up the legs the body slow him down mix it in uh mix in the takedowns and win it round by round i can't see a sun style getting a finish here you know what i mean so he'll just he'll need to win it round by round and grind it out you know what I mean? Corey's takedown defense is only at 20%, so a Sun Sao really needs to, you know what I mean, expose that shit this fight. But, um, alright, going into the keys and thoughts for Corey Sandhagen, I only got two main keys and thoughts. Uh, first one, almost like how I said it in uh, Sun Sao's keys to victory, Corey needs to win this fight uh, round by round, but on the feet. Just like I said for, um, for a Sun Sao, I can't see either fighter getting the finish here unless it's like a flash knockout or like a really sneaky submission on the ground, but... I see this fight being more technical than anything, you know what I mean? Corey needs to use that movement and great footwork he has and just keep a Sun Sao at the end of his jabs all fight. Every time a Sun Sao rushes in and, um, you know what I mean, with those strikes, instead of moving instead of moving backwards like he did against Lineker, he needs to circle out and, uh, you know what I mean, get right back to the center and start popping the jab all over again. He needs to be in control from, uh, you know, from the beginning of the round to the end, period. Use that 4-inch reach advantage and, uh, you know what I mean, keep a Sun Tso at bay and at the end of the punches. But keep the same pace all fight. Being light on the feet is great, you know what I mean, and, uh, you know what I mean, it's something I love to do as well. But whenever you do, whenever you overdo it, you will just tire yourself, uh, you'll just tire yourself out. Like, um, you know what I mean, like he did when he fought Lineker. He didn't gas out, you know what I mean, but he noticeably slowed down after the first round, you know what I mean. Especially with the speed, like I said earlier. Uh, keep this fight at one pace, you know what I mean? Don't overdo it. Every time he blitzes, circle out, get out of the way, you know what I mean? Second key, uh, a Sun Tso has been known to start slow, and Corey needs to take advantage of that and get right in his face and back him up with the relentless pressure like, uh, you know what I mean, like he usually does, but again, not overdo it. But once the fight starts, 
he needs to back Asuncao up and start landing those jabs and the front kicks to the body. Asuncao has always been known to uh, only, you know, usually throw one big strike at a time, sometimes two if it's, you know, off of the jab. But off the jab is just followed by us like one power punch you know what i mean and uh more times than not it's literally just one so um you know I mean, he's not even known for being a, a blitzing fighter either sometimes he does it but he's not known for that Corey needs to see that and land that high volume of strikes like he usually does and get his son's side to throw those um you know those minimal strikes and uh, make him overcommit and make a miss and uh tire his arms out in the process of making a miss but all in all Corey lands uh, 8.7 strikes per minute, you know what I mean? And he needs to keep that type of volume going in this fight also. Pop the jab all day, land combos, and get right out of the fucking way, and get right back into the center. Also, going back to the height advantage, I don't know why Corey doesn't throw head kicks, you know what I mean? Uh, he doesn't throw it much, especially when he's uh, when he fights a shorter opponent like Lineker, you know what I mean? And um, Asuncao is, you know, uh, actually... Yeah, yeah, no, Lineker was one inch shorter than Asuncao, you know what I mean, I don't, and he didn't throw head kicks there, but, um, you know what I mean, Asuncao being only one inch uh, taller than Lineker, he should definitely try to throw these fucking kicks, again, he threw flying knees, which is great and shit, but, you know what I mean, when you're fighting the shorter opponent, you should always utilize head kicks, you know what I mean, as it's easy to get the fucking leg high enough, uh, you know, to the shorter opponent's head. Um, Sun Sao has good striking defense, you know what I mean, and only absorbs little over two strikes a minute, but the type of volume that Corey throws, like I pointed out earlier, those numbers should go up this fight, Corey needs to utilize that, uh, you know, that usual volume of strikes, but mixing those motherfucking head kicks, <laughs> but, um, alright, my final pick for that fight, though, I'm going with Sandhagen via decision, not saying either unanimous decision or split decision, but definitely by decision, um, you know, I see him. I see him keeping the fight at his distance and keeping the fight uh, striking all night, and just uh, keeping the sun at the end of his punches and making a sun miss more than he lands, and you know, just win the fight somewhat dominantly. You know, what I mean, nothing like crazy, but you know, dominantly. I, you know, so I guess I could see him winning unanimous decision, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it is a split decision because a sun might really make this competitive because he's a vet. You know, what I mean. But I, I don't think it'll be enough to handle the pace and, uh, you know, the volume of Corey. But, um, yep, alright. So, going <laughs> going into the second fight, uh, prelim fight that I was looking forward to, it was it was a lightweight bout between Devontae Smith taking on uh, Clay Collard. And uh, when I was taking these notes two days ago, this it was Clay Collard. And now he's fighting, who was it again? comma worthy no fucking idea no fucking idea what the fuck happened but i took all these motherfucking notes and uh fuck it i don't even care i'm still gonna fucking <laughs> i'm fucking saying these goddamn notes that's bullshit but we're gonna go into the uh <laughs> go into the last three fights for Devonte smith because obviously i don't know the other guy's last three fights but um last fight for the for Devante, he fought deong hyung ma he won that fight by KO in round one in February of early this year. Uh, before that, he fought Julian Arosa. He won that fight by KO again in round one in November 2018. That was his UFC debut. And before that, he fought Joseph Lowry. He won that fight by KO as well. I believe in the first round. I didn't write that one down. But I want to see in the first round because he kills everyone in the first round. <laughs> and that was in April of 2018. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I, you guys fucking found out with me that this fight got changed. So, um, these notes I'm about to read was for, uh, someone, you know, for Collard, actually not someone, but, you know, Collard, but fuck it. I'm going to try to, uh, just replace Collard's name with, what's this guy's name? Worthy. They're probably not the same type of fighter at all or nothing, but I wrote these goddamn notes. I'm a fucking, I'm gonna say him. <laughs> But, um, alright, you, you know what, nah, I'm not even gonna fucking say these notes, cause, this is, cause it's just gonna sound confusing as fuck, all I'm gonna say is, um, Devontae Smith is a motherfucking beast, all the fights that I've seen from him, he's a finisher, uh, and a fucking animal, his best punch is the 1-2 straight down the middle, and he is fast as fuck, so, um, l seeing this, this comma guy, his record is 12-6, and six um this it seems like it's probably gonna be a knockout 
Uh, I, but like I said, I know nothing about this guy. But um, I'm just going off of what I know about Devante, and this motherfucker is an animal. So, especially because whoever this guy's, whoever he's fighting, is taking the fight in like three fucking days' notice now, if that. Um, yeah, so it sh- I want to say it should be a fucking KO victory and a um, uh, pretty easy one. So I guess we're just going to move on and uh, go right on to the main card. <laughs> and it's uh, starting off with a middleweight bout between Derek Brunson taking on Ian Heinish. Going into the last three fights, starting with Derek Brunson. His last fight was against Elias Diodoro. He won that fight via unanimous decision in May early this year, 2019. Before that, he fought Israel Adesanya, and he lost that fight via KO in round one, and that was in November 2018. Before that, he fought Jacare Shoza, and he lost that fight by KO in round one, and that was in January of 2018. Going into the last three fights for Ian Heinish, uh, his last fight was against Antonio Carlos Jr. He won that fight by unanimous decision, and that was in May 2019, early this year. Before that, he fought Cesar, uh, Cesar Ferreira. He won that fight by unanimous decision in November 2018, and that was his UFC debut. Before that, he fought Justin Sumter. He won that fight by KO in round one, and that was in July 2018. And going right into the keys and thoughts, uh, I'm just going to do one main detailed key for each fighter and uh, one you know main thought. Starting with Heinish, uh, Heinish needs to be in Brunson's face, out pressure this motherfucker in every aspect of the fight. It's um, it's been shown that when Brunson is the one moving back, he usually looks like a fucking deer in headlights and just doesn't seem to know what the fuck to do to uh to relieve the pressure. You know what I mean? When Derek is the one going forward, he usually does it with like sloppy power striking and um, you know what I mean? That's that's what he's best at. You know what I mean? That's when he's at his best. It sounds weird, but. When he, um, when he lands off of those fucking blitzes, you know what I mean, and connects, you know what I mean, that's when he usually knocks motherfuckers out and gets them in trouble, uh, you know what I mean, they may be sloppy as fuck, but they are throwing, uh, they are being thrown with ill intentions, you know what I mean, nonetheless, Hanish needs to be in, uh, Derek's face and just back him up, and when Derek attempts those blitzes, he needs to get out of the fucking way and get right back into the center of the fucking octagon and, uh, you know, maintain the pressure again. Usually, I would say go under the blitzing punches and, uh, you know, use the forward momentum of the opponent as an advantage and, uh, you know, shoot for the takedown as the momentum of uh, Derek would, you know, it, it would make it easier to get the takedown. But a lot of people don't know fucking uh, Brunson is a very good wrestler, even though he doesn't really show it much in MMA. He's an NCAA college wrestler and he has a 100% takedown defense. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't fucking know that. In his 15 fights in the UFC, he's 100% at takedown defense. In 15 fights in the UFC. That's fucking insane. You know what I mean? And um, especially when you look at it, when he's had fights against people like Yoel Romero, Jacare, Robert Whitaker, you know what I mean? Who are all great grapplers. Never took him down. Not one of them. You know what I mean? Crazy. I mean, you know, granted, they all knocked him out. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't need to take him down, but still, you know what I mean, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's still fucking crazy, but uh, yeah, Hanish needs to keep this fight standing and make Brunson miss as much as possible and gas out his arms like that and pick him apart standing every round, Brunson doesn't have the greatest head movement and tends to just keep his head right down the center line, and Hanish needs to take advantage of those moments and throw heavy strikes right down the fucking middle, but um, you know what I mean, when landing those shots, don't go back to it over and over again and start making it predictable, you know what I'm saying, for Brunson to counter and, uh, you know, or go go under for a takedown himself, but you need to land those hard straights right down the fucking middle because of Derek's lack of head movement, you know what I mean, kind of, um, you know, kind of going back to me saying he needs to keep the control of the octagon, he needs to keep away from getting his back up against the cage, Derek loves to be the bully, and, you know what I mean, when it gets up against the cage, he loves to, like, throw huge fucking shots, those those fucking crazy, loopy, fucking sloppy-ass shots, you know what I mean, and if he lands them, he fucking gets people in trouble, you know what I mean, and sometimes he works the fucking, uh, you know what I mean, he works the takedown from that position, Heinish needs to make sure he doesn't get backed up, you know what I mean, even close enough to the fucking fence, don't backpedal, you know what I mean, but circle, Every time he feels like he's backing up, circle the fuck out after a few steps backing up. 
but um yeah also Derek has a four inch height advantage and uh you know it would be perfect for Heinrich to chop Derek's legs with uh you know the calf kicks that you know he looks he seems to have really good success with you know especially in his fight against uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. is also like an inch taller than Brunson standing at 6'2 uh, you know Brunson's 6'1 so if he has success with those kicks with someone you know with a similar height he should you know definitely have the same type of success here last thing for Heinish uh, again going back to the fight with Carlos Jr. he um, he stated you know he, uh, sorry he started very slow and then picked it up in the second round on and, uh, you know, I mean, he needs to start fast this fight. He cannot use the whole first round to feel Brunson out, you know what I mean? Like he did against Carlos Jr. Uh, not saying going crazy, you know what I mean, right in the beginning. But, you know what I mean, you can't start slow, you know. And you cannot get out pressured by someone like uh, by someone like Brunson, you know what I mean, right in the beginning. But, um, alright, going into the key and thought for Derek Brunson. Uh, very simply put, don't fight like a fucking dumbass and don't get too sloppy in this fight. Use the wrestling advantage and push Heinish up against the fence and work the fucking takedowns off of the heavy strikes thrown. And, uh, you know what I mean? When Heinish is against the fence, you know what I mean? Throw those fucking punches and do not let him fucking circle out. Brunson's recent fights, he abandoned his, uh, you know, a big key, which, um, you know, which makes him fight at his best, which is, which is the wrestling ability. You know what I mean? Like I said earlier, he needs to go back to that shit, this fight, and just use that experience to get the win here. Uh, he's definitely going to be the stronger of the two, I think, and he needs to use that um, use that to his advantage as well. When, uh, especially when pushing him, uh, when pushing Heinish up against the fence. Also, use the size advantage to keep him up against the fucking fence. You know what I mean? And not escape the position. He needs to be the fucking bully and grapple and not allow Heinish to find his rhythm this fight. And uh, you know, like I said, Heinish, you know, he tends to start slow in the fights that I've seen him fight in the first round, at least. Brunson needs to attack that first fucking round, but again, don't go fucking jumping into the entries with those fucking sloppy strikes where he, you know, throws them shits with his fucking eyes closed. He can't, he can't fucking do that here, you know what I mean? Um, he needs to pick the correct shots and throw them shits on the entry and not allow Heinz to circle out. Brunson won his last fight against Theodoro, but it was not the most entertaining at all, and, uh, you know, he lost the two fights before that by knockout, but... Some people think that, uh, you know, he needs a devastating knockout uh, in this fight to get back on track. You know what I mean? I don't see that shit being the case, you know? I think he needs a dominant victory, yeah, but not a knockout. You know, uh, I want to see him utilize the size advantage, like I said, and that fucking wrestling background advantage along with the experience. You know what I mean? Uh, make this the perfect fucking fight and beat Heinish in all senses. But more so with the fucking wrestling and grind this shit out, you know? Uh, it's almost certain that Brunson will be, um, you know, playing the usual cat and mouse game where he is the one being the cat chasing the fucking opponent around the cage. But, uh, you know, he needs to be cautious that he doesn't get caught slowing down and, uh, you know, caught off guard with Heinish's overhand that he loves to fucking throw before circling away, um, you know, and get back to the center. If you are going to chase him, then chase him with fucking takedowns more than chasing him with ridiculous fucking punches, you know what I mean? Also... Keep a fucking decent fucking pace. Don't fucking gas out trying to fucking chase this motherfucker. Attempt to walk Heinish down, but not in a desperate way. You know what I mean? Fight smart and just always cut off the angles of Heinish's movement, especially when he's trying to circle out. Pretty much, you know what I mean? Simply put, be a fucking wrestler first and a striker second. Dominate this fight with grappling, but when getting the fucking fight to the ground, be careful and watch out for Heinish's ability to reverse the position. Because, um, you know, I mean, he showed he had really good reversing ability and in, um, in his fight against Carlos Jr. You know, I mean, he was a great grappler in his own respect as well. But, uh, yeah, when on the ground, maintain heavy top control and watch out for those reversal attempts because they will come. Use, uh, you know, what I mean, use the reversal attempts to even better the position. You know, what I mean, uh, try to make him pull off a fucking desperate move and, you know, see if you can work that into uh, getting, um, you know, a full mount. That'd be fucking great. Better the fucking position and get to opposition if possible, you know. And you know, make this make the make his decision to attempt those reversals a bad choice. You know what I mean? Pretty much be one step ahead on the ground. But um, my final pick for this fight, I'm going with Heinish. 
via unanimous decision, you know, as I kept saying, Brunson, he gets very sloppy, and he fights very emotional, you know, um, he's not the smartest fighter on the block, you know, and that is usually what gets him beat, and, you know, uh, that when, once he gets careless and starts throwing the technique out the window, that's when he usually gets caught slipping, I see Brunson chasing Heinish around the cage, and, you know, all the while getting hit with combos and leg kicks, <clears throat> excuse me, Brunson will, I mean, you know, I hope he will get a takedown or two, but I see Heinrich getting back up and doing, you know, the same over again on the feet. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the size advantage, but he does have the speed advantage to get in and out, you know what I mean, fast enough, and I see that happening all fight for the most part. But, um, alright, moving on to the next fight. It is a featherweight bout between Gabriel Benitez taking on Sodiq Youssef. Gonna uh, go into the last three fights, starting with Sodiq Youssef. His last fight was against Shaman Marais. He won that fight by unanimous decision, and that was in March 2019. Before that, he fought Suman Maktarian. He won that fight by TKO in round one, and that was in December 2018. That was his UFC debut also. Uh, before that, he fought Mike Davis, and he won that fight by unanimous decision in July 2018, and that was on the Contender Series. Going into the last three fights for Gabriel Benitez, starting with uh, his last fight against Humberto Ben, oh Humberto Bendene, that was a good fight. Uh, he won that fight by KO in round one, and that was in May 2018. Before that, he fought Jason Knight. He won that fight by unanimous decision in December 2017, and before that, he fought Enrique Barzola, and he lost that fight by unanimous decision in May of 2017. <clears throat> Honestly, this one doesn't really need a complete breakdown. It's going to be a pretty simple game plan for each fighter to win. So I'm just going to mix in my thoughts on each fighter real quick and just move on to the next fight. But um, yeah, Yusuf, he's a powerhouse that relies on his power and knockout ability. But, um, you know, he's very flat-footed, which is the issue. And uh, with Gabriel being really late on his feet with that in-and-out stick-and-move movement... Um, that's, you know what I mean, that's going to be a fucking problem. Pretty much the only way I see Yusef winning this fight is going to be by a knockout, by catching Gabriel as he's lunging in, or, you know what I mean, or just knock him out just on the feet in general in a sequence of strikes. Um, if he wins this by decision, it would probably mean that, you know, he drops Gabriel a few times to win on the scorecards, you know. But um, I, I don't think he will. You know, I don't think he'll be able to keep up with the pace of Gabriel if it goes all three rounds. Gabriel is a very smart fighter and doesn't usually get baited into brawls. I mean, there's been times where he has done it and, um, you know, like someone like Jason Knight, but someone like Jason Knight, you could get away with that uh, with, you know, quick brawling sweep, uh, sequences. But with someone like Yusef, who could put someone fucking out with just one fucking shot, uh, with any shot that he throws in that sequence, not the fucking greatest fucking idea, you know what I mean? If Gabriel wins this, he needs to use that fucking movement all fucking fight and just stick and move. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, uh, he needs to utilize that shit all fucking fight. When he comes in and throws two, three strikes, get the fuck out of the motherfucking way because Yusef will come back throwing, uh, trying to land that fucking counter. Uh, use that fucking movement and footwork. Sometimes even push Yusef up against the fence and hold him there for short periods of time. Try to save some energy, you know what I mean? And then break away and then get back to work. And, you know what I mean? Because in uh, in Yusuf's last two fights, uh, he was pushed up against the fence by both fighters. And um, he was held there for, you know, a decent amount of time. Not long before, you know, he reversed the position with his strength. So, you know, Gabriel needs to be smart with the time that he has him up against the fence. You know, he can't try to hold him on, hold him there for too long because he'll just get reversed. But regardless, he should try, to, uh, try a few times to do that to, uh, you know, save his energy and keep the same pace all fight and keep it on the feet, uh, especially because Gabriel isn't known, you know, much for his takedowns, he's had seven fights in the UFC and only secured one successful takedown, you know, which is weird as fuck, because he trains at, uh, H uh AKA, which is the home of, you know, Daniel Cormier, Cain Velasquez, and a lot of other great wrestlers, yo, you know, um, a lot of great wrestling-based fighters, but, um, you know, back to what I was saying, he <clears throat> he isn't known for his takedowns. He just stands and just fights on the feet and has no problem doing that shit all fight. As long, you know what I mean, as long as he keeps that movement going. But, like I said, Yusef is a fucking powerhouse and this fucking fight can end with one fucking shot by him. So, 
Gabriel just needs to fucking be careful and never be stationary, you know what I mean? Or get pushed up against the fucking fence and freeze up, you know, and let Yusef just completely tee off because he will do that shit. Kind of like um, in his fight with Mkhitaryan in the finishing sequence there because it ended on the feet. Uh, the referee stopped in because uh, I guess Mkhitaryan wasn't defending himself properly and was just taking a bunch of shots while up against the fence. Uh, Gabriel needs to be in and out, you know what I mean? Get in and get out. But... You know what I mean? Yusef wins, it'll be by a KO. If Gabriel wins, if Gabriel wins, it'll be by a decision. But uh, you know, my final pick and uh, prediction for this fight is gonna be Gabriel Benitez with the upset. I think you know, I think he'll be smart. You know, I think he'll use the uh, experience and um, he'll just not get baited into a brawl sequence because he will lose that fight, that type of fight, ten out of ten times, I believe. You know what I mean? I think he will just be the very mobile fighter and just have Yusuf follow him around, but stick a move and be active while he's moving. Um, I can also see him get Yusuf very aggravated too with that type of style, you know what I mean? And get him out of his comfort zone. But yeah, I got Gabriel with the upset. Let's see how that one goes. But um, alright, moving on to the next fucking fight. Oh, fucking this fight. Oh my fucking sweet potato pie dumpling crumbles. I don't know what the fuck that is, but I am fucking excited for this fucking fight. It's the middleweight bout between motherfucking the showdown of the fucking natties between Yoel Romero and uh, Paulo Costa. My goodness, man. It's a fucking ridiculous fight. And it's, it's, it's also fucking ridiculous how damn near no one is fucking talking about this fucking fight. You know, like this shit is getting no recognition. It's bullshit. And it's mainly because... All the talk is about the co-main event and the main event, which are both amazing fights, you know what I mean? Which goes to show how fucking stacked this main card is. But the fact that I've talked to, like, some of my boys this fucking week, this fight week, and when I mentioned that this motherfucking fight was on the card, a lot of them had no motherfucking idea. And that shit pisses me the fuck off. That's bullshit. What kind of shit is that? Um, But yeah, fucking damn. In all honesty, though, for me, personally, this is the main fight that I'm really looking forward to, you know what I mean? Uh, mainly as, like, a super enthusiast, you know, who loves breaking shit down and, uh, you know, and whatnot. I'm more interested in the in style ma in stylistic matchups than big-name matchups, you know? And um, these are kind of two big names, too, you know? More so Yoel than Costa, you know, because Costa's still young in the game, but he's got a big hype train behind him. But, um, you know, I mean, that's just me, though. You know, I, I love the big name matchups as well. But for me, a real good stylist, uh, stylistic, what the fuck? I turned Australian real quick. You heard that? What the fuck? <laughs> uh, but, you know, what I mean, a real good stylistic matchup is what really intrigues me. You know, what I mean, that's what intrigues me more. Intrigue. Jeez. I don't even know the last time I used that fucking word. Shit. Oh, shit. That's what fucking talking out of mic for fucking over two months straight will fucking do to you, I guess. Proper speaking, motherfucker. Look at me go. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. If some of you don't remember, though, this fight was scheduled to take place last November on uh, UFC 230. But that fight was canceled because Joel's doctor suggested he took uh, like four or five extra months off to recover from uh, uh, facial structure damage or some shit. But, um, yeah, especially because I was hype as fuck when that shit first got announced back then. I'm, like, super hyped that it's finally fucking ha Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Finally fucking happening because, of course, there's a couple days left. <sighs> I hope I didn't just fucking jinx that shit. But, um, <laughs> as far as the stylistic matchup goes, like I was talking about earlier, that intrigues me. It's that these motherfuckers are, like, damn near the same type of fighter. Both jacked as fuck and knockout artists with real fast strikes, you know what I mean? That you don't see coming until it's too late. Uh, the main difference, though, is Joel is more athletic, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, he, he throws flying knees, roundhouse kicks, and shit like that, you know? And Paolo is, uh, he's more of like a Tyson-esque boxer, you know? Um, who just relies more on his hands than anything else, I, like... I, I was looking into his stats, and in his, like, four fights, he's thrown three leg kicks, I believe. Three leg kicks in four fights. <laughs> but, um, also, another uh, another difference is Paolo is taller, as, you know, usual Yoel's, usual Yoel, uh, wow, fucked that up twice. Usual Yoel opponents are taller than Yoel. But, um, you know, I read in sites that Yoel is 5'10", and then I read in other sites that he's six foot even. 
I don't think he's six foot even. You know, I, he could be five eleven. You know, but I could be wrong. You know, I never had the pleasure of seeing him fight live in person to really, uh, you know, say um, how how tall he looks to me. But you know, like fighters like Rockhold and Weidman who are over six foot make you all look, you know, about five ten. <laughs> but um, yeah, Costa is six one, so you know, height advantage, and um, of course the age gap uh, is a fucking big gap. You all being forty two now and Costa being twenty eight. You know, I. I don't know how they get down in Cuba and Cuba, Cuba. <laughs> I don't know how they get down in Cuba, but if Yoel had him at 14, you know what I mean? If he was 14 and he had a baby, it would be Costa. <laughs> and, uh, you know what I mean? With Costa being 28. <laughs> oh, shit. What am I saying? I'm just going to move on with that. But um, anyways, like I said, Yoel is a fucking you know, athletic fucking freak, you know, and he's completely jacked as fuck, you know, so some people com- always forget his age, you know, like, kind of like how motherfuckers forgot he was fighting on this car, this shit pisses me off, but, um, yeah, you can't even tell you I was 42, but, uh, alright, let's get right into the three, uh, yeah, yeah, let's get into these last three fights, and, uh, you know, break them down before I just keep rambling, uh, the last three fights for each fighter, Paulo Costa, as I said, in the, in the top of the show, he's undefeated at 12-0, all finishes. His last fight was against Shariah Hall. He won that fight by TKO in round two, and that was in July 2018. Before that, he fought Johnny Hendricks. He won that fight by TKO, and that was in round two, and that was in November 2017. Before that, he fought uh, Olawali Bamboshe. He won that fight by TKO in round two. And that was in June 2017. And for Yoel Romero, his last three fights. Last fight was against Robert Whitaker. Lost that fight uh, via split decision. Um, Yoel missed weight uh, that fight by point point two pounds. So that fight was a non-title bout as originally scheduled. But, you know, it didn't matter because, you know, they gave it to Whitaker. I honestly thought Yoel won that fight. But, you know, we're not going to get into that right now. Uh, before that, he fought Luke Rockhold, and uh, he won that fight by KO in round three. Um, it was originally for the interim title, uh, but again, you will missed weight. But this this time it was actually by two actual pounds and not 0.2 pounds. <laughs> so that was for the interim title, but um, you know that got changed into a non-title fight, and um, that was in February 2018. And because you will missed weight. He won the fight, but he, you know, they didn't give him the title. But uh, regardless, before that, he fought Robert Whitaker the first time. And uh, he lost that fight by unanimous decision this time. And that was in July 2017. And that was for the interim title. A lot of fucking interim titles. (laughs) But, um, alright, going right into the the keys to victory for each fighter. I'm not even going to do, you know, like three keys to victory for each fighter uh for the last three for these last three fights because i know these fighters like the back of my hand and i don't even really need to study and take notes for the main you know the main keys and shit for these fighters so i'm just gonna give my thoughts and predictions on you know on them like i did for the yusef and benita's fight except you know i mean for that fight i did kind of have to study because you know i i had to look into yusef's fights because i i couldn't really remember who we fought last but regardless let's fucking get right into it all right to start like I said, I'm excited as fuck for this motherfucking fight. Obviously, on paper, there's just about no fucking chance this shit goes to decision, you know? So, someone should be getting put the fuck down. Um, like I said earlier, though, both fighters have a similar physique-wise uh, and power, you know, powerhouse-wise, but one can just do more than the other, and that's your well. You know, he's the more creative striker, but he usually picks and chooses his shots. He's not a super high-volume striker, you know what I mean? But the shots that he throws are bound to rock the motherfucking opponent or put them out if he lands and times them perfectly. The stat sheet shows that uh, Yoel lands little over three strikes per minute. Obviously, you know, it's it's been seen that Yoel doesn't have the best cardio, and that's why, uh, you know, it, that's why he has that low, low of a count of strikes uh, per minute. But, you know what I mean? All of those fucking strikes landed are significant, you know what I'm saying? Uh, more times than not. Problem is, on the other end, Paulo Costa lands over fucking eight shots a fucking minute. You know what I mean? Of course, teeing off on Yoel could probably cost him. And, um, 
Yoel could either go under the fucking punches or grab a fucking leg for a takedown or, you know, I mean, just land a beast ass counter over the top. And, um, you know, in, in his past fights, Yoel has shown he could just literally grab your fucking foot and get the fucking takedown. You know what I mean? Because he's a fucking animal. And um, Costa has been taken down. Uh, he's been taken down twice by Bamboche in his fight, in that fight. Uh, you know what I mean, before Costa got the knockout, so if Bamboche could secure two fucking takedowns and not be a wrestling-based fighter, then Yoel being an Olympic wrestler should be able to secure a takedown or two, you know what I mean, um, you know what I mean, I'm not going off MMA math, but that's just, you know what I mean, that's just, like, common sense, you know what I mean, um, we've never seen Costa go past the second round, so no one really knows how good his cardio is, but seeing how big his fucking arms are, and, you know, the way he fucking fights, the way he be fucking swinging them shits, I'm almost certain he doesn't look the greatest in the third round, you know. Uh, Yoel has shown he's not greatest in five-round fights, but in three-round fights, he usually keeps a decent pace. Um, Costa hasn't even attempted a fucking single takedown in his UFC career. And, you know, I mean, I don't think I see that shit happening in this fight, you know. But, on the other end, I think Yoel should get fucking takedowns early and force Costa to hold his weight on the ground, you know. And, um, get Costa's arms tired out so he can't throw those big shots, you know, with full power when on the feet. Um, I obviously believe Costa can only win this fight by a KO. That's the only way he can win. Yoel can win by a KO or a decision as long as he has a good game plan, you know what I mean? The perfect game plan of tying the young man's big-ass arms out, you know? <laughs> on the ground and start landing the big shots on the feet when he can barely keep his hands up, you know, to block due to, due to the arms being fatigued. But... If this fight is on the feet, then Yoel just needs to be really bouncy, you know? And, uh, he needs to be ready to get the fuck out of the way when Costa blitzes in with those heavy fucking haymakers and hooks. Because those are his best shots. He, I don't, he barely throws fucking jabs. It's all fucking hooks and haymakers. But, um, especially when it throws them shits to the fucking body to set up the shot upstairs, you know what I mean? Them shits are fucking mean. Um, Yoel cannot get up against the fucking fence like Costa did to Uriah Hall and just let Costa tee the fuck off like that, you know what I mean, Yoel is a much smarter fighter than that to let that shit happen, but, you know what I mean, if he gets rocked first, it's more than likely that it can happen, and, uh, you know what I mean, but, you know what I mean, I see him getting out of the way before he gets to that point, uh, like I said in the beginning of my thoughts for this one, though, it's hard to see this fucking fight going the distance, but, um, if it does, I see it being in Yoel's favor, um, but anything can happen, and Costa can show that he has, you know, some secret amazing cardio that no one knows about, I doubt it, but, uh, you know, who knows, <laughs> but, um, my final pick for this fight, I'm going with Yoel by TKO or decision, I see him being the smarter fighter, not getting into a brawl, and just, you know, coming in with a perfect game plan to beat Costa, especially with the experience difference, you know, I see Yoel being very cautious and being very smart this fight, um, you know, but, like I said, if Costa wins, it's almost certain it's going to be by KO, and, uh, you know, this fight can go either way, you know what I mean, um, but, I'm picking, I'm putting my money on Million Dollar Man, Yoel, uh, if, if you don't know why I call him Million Dollar Man, just search up Yoel Romero, millionaire, <laughs> he won a settlement and shit, and, uh, yeah, he's a fucking millionaire now, he don't even need to fight, really don't, but, um, yeah, he's doing this shit for the fans, pretty much, and, uh, thank you, Yoel, but, um, all right, now, moving on to the co-main event, it's a welterweight bout between a returning Nate Diaz taking out Anthony Pettis. Uh, we're going into the last three fights for each fighter, and then right into my thoughts and prediction for the fight. Last three fights for Nate Diaz, as I said, he's returning after setting out for just about three years. So, uh, yeah, there's that. But uh, his last fight was against Conor McGregor. He lost that fight by unanimous decision. I honestly thought he won that fight. Um by a split decision, not unanimous, though, uh, and that was in August of 2016, like I said, almost three years he's been out, uh, before that was the first fight with Conor McGregor, where he won by submission in round two, and that was in March of 2016, before that, he fought Michael Johnson, and he won that fight via unanimous decision in December 2015, going into the uh, last three fights for Pettis, he fought Stephen Thompson, he won that fight by KO in round two in March 2019, and that was his welterweight debut. Crazy fight. I did not see that shit fucking coming. Shut my ass up. I I did not think there would be any way Pettis would win that shit by a goddamn knockout. 
and he fucking did. But um, <laughs> anyways, before that, he fought Tony Ferguson, and th- this was this was at light uh, lightweight. Sorry, there. <laughs> the fuck happened there? I fucking glitched out. <laughs> uh, he lost that fight by TKO in between rounds two and three. It was a corner stoppage um, in between rounds, and that was in October 2018. Uh, before that, he fought Michael Chiesa. He won that fight by submission, and that was with a triangle choke in round two in July 2018. All right, going right into my thoughts and predictions. We're going to start with the obvious one of the two has been a lot more busier and active than the other, and that's Pettis, you know what I mean? Since Diaz's last fight, Pettis has fought seven fucking times, you know? Uh, granted, the win-loss ratio is literally win-loss, 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 and, you know, a win in his last fight. And, you know, that's still being active, though. Um, you know, Diaz has the two-inch height advantage, but he has a four-inch reach advantage, like he usually does, you know what I mean, when he fights... And he needs to utilize that shit like he usually do, uh, like he usually does, <laughs> utilely doodly. <laughs> he needs to utilize that shit like he usually does, and make this shit a boxing match like he always does. Uh, Diaz's best shots are the one-two right down the fucking middle, and he'll you know he'll he'll land that shit over and over. You know, I mean he'll make that shit predictable, and he'll still fucking land that shit. You know, kind of like he did against uh, Michael Johnson. Um, if you don't stay on the fucking move and you stay right down the fucking center line for him, he gonna land that shit. Uh, Pettis isn't known for great head movement, but he does cover up pretty good, you know what I mean? But he needs to be careful and he needs to be on point with the fucking defense because Diaz will start throwing hooks to the body if he sees you covering up to the head too much. Um, Nate's obvious advantage, like I said, is the height, reach, and his boxing, but of course, cardio too Pettis you know his obvious advantages is his kicks you know what I mean uh, I don't think he has better hands and uh you know definitely better kicks though which he will need to fucking make a big factor for him to fucking win this fight um this fight needs to fucking you know sorry Pettis needs to make sure that this fight his fucking cardio is on fucking point and you know try to keep up with the pace of Nate Diaz you know what I mean it's shown in Pettis's fight with Ferguson and Poirier that he gave into both of their fucking relentless pace you know what I mean and you know Nate is up there with that type of pace if not better uh you know what I mean I, Ferguson's might be better but Nate's is definitely up there um of course like I said though earlier he hasn't been active but you know what I mean this dude and his brother does triathlons just for fun you know so you know, the cardio should always be there, but back to the leg, uh, you know, uh, the leg kicks for Pettis, if you watch when, uh, Nate fought Dos Anjos, you'll see why leg kicks are gonna be a huge factor when beating Nate Diaz, Dos Anjos straight up chewed his fucking legs up from start to finish, you know what I mean, where Nate was fucking hobbling throughout the fucking fight and couldn't even plant on his fucking leg to fucking throw those straight punches, um, you know what I mean, that's, and that's what he has to fucking do this shit, um, Dos, uh, Dos Anjos landed almost 30 fucking leg kicks, and Diaz landed only, uh, 12 significant strikes all fight, you know what I mean, of course, total strikes Diaz landed more, you know, at around 50, but those were, like, usually, like, jabs and, you know, slaps and shit, <laughs> but, um, you know, once, uh, once he landed the jab, though, RDA was able to throw the fucking leg kick right away, right before Diaz was even able to throw that follow-up straight left, um, Pettis needs to do that same fucking shit, and once he starts seeing Diaz hobble, throw those motherfucking, uh, you know, roundhouse kicks, spin kicks, and any other fucking kick Pettis could fucking throw, but to the body and to the head instead, you know what I mean, but only after he sees Nate start paying attention to the leg kicks, you know what I mean, um, when it comes to the ground game, both of these dudes are super legit BJJ black belts, so, you know, it could go either way on the ground, so, uh, you know, I won't go deep into that, as both guys' submission defense is nasty, you know, unless, of course, the fight, you know, gets gets on the ground, and Diaz is able to use his size and weight advantage to get the, you know, body lock triangle, and, um, you know, get the top control with, uh, kind of like how Poirier had, um, Pettis, you know, I mean, how he ended the fight, uh, you know, it could, it could end by TKO on the ground, and Diaz could win it that way, um, you know, I mean, but Diaz is the only one of the two that I see it ending that way for, you know what I mean, um, regardless though, Nate needs to fight him exactly like he did Michael Johnson and come out volume, you know what I mean, come, come and out volume 
Pettis with the one-two combo all fight until that perfect one lands and rattles Pettis, you know what I mean? And then just pretty much pick him apart on the feet every fucking second. Every fucking second. Land that one-two all fucking fight and land some fucking leg kicks too. And, uh, you know, he has to be ready to, uh, you know, for Anthony's leg kicks as well, though. Like I said earlier, knowing Duke Rufus, who is uh, Pettis' coach, who is a great coach, it's almost guaranteed that a game plan focused on that leg kicks is going to be utilized, you know? Um, Diaz needs to be ready for that shit and either check them shits or, you know what I mean, you just keep Pettis at the end of the fucking punches and just not get too close, you know what I mean, uh, for uh, Pettis to land those kicks, which Diaz is sometimes good at, you know? But, anyways, this is a real, real anticipated fight and it honestly should have happened years ago but, you know, at lightweight, but, you know, what the fuck do I know, <laughs> now, two natural lightweights are fighting at welterweight, I, I don't fucking know, uh, I'm still excited, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying nothing bad about that, I'm just saying it's just fucking weird as fuck how this shit played out after all these fucking years uh, of them being, uh, you know, some of the top lightweights back, you know, years back, but, um, yeah, my final pick for this fight, though, I'm going with Diaz by TKO or Decision, um, this is not a super confident pick though, you know what I mean, because Pettis can utilize those fucking leg kicks and neutralize Diaz's movement and, you know, just mess up the fucking power behind the punches, but, you know what I mean, uh, I, I just can't see, it, I, I can't see him doing that all fucking fight, you know what I mean, he needs to, but I can't see him doing that, he's not a leg kick, he uh, yeah, he's not a leg kick heavy kind of fighter, you know, he'll, he'll throw more head kicks and body kicks than, uh, you know, than leg kicks, but, um, also, I also don't see Pettis keeping up, uh, even, even keeping up with close to the same pace as Diaz, uh, especially as the fight goes on, and I see, I see Pettis fading by the end of the second, um, where Diaz, you know, starts picking him apart by keeping Pettis at the end of the reach, and, uh, you know, the, um, the end of the fucking, those long, lanky-ass punches, <laughs> but, uh, you know, exciting matchup for the fans, and I can't wait to fucking watch it, but, yeah, I got Diaz by TKO or Decision, all right, moving on to the main event of the evening, uh, well, of that evening, <laughs> it's a, it's the heavyweight championship fight of Daniel Cormier versus former champ Stipe Miocic, um, again, I'm going to go down the last three fights for each fighter and then go right into my thoughts and uh, prediction for that fight. Last three fights, starting with Cormier. His last fight was against Derek Lewis. He won that fight via submission with a rear naked choke in round two. And that was in November 2018. Before that, he fought Stipe Miocic. This was the first fight. And he won that fight by KO in round one. And that was Cormier's return to heavyweight. Uh, and he won the title that fight, and that was in July 2018. Before that was his last fight at light heavyweight. He fought Volkan Ozdemir. He won that fight by TKO in round two, and that was in July 2018. And he defended uh, the light heavyweight belt before moving up to heavyweight. Um, last uh, last three fights for Miocic. Of course, last fight being against Cormier. Um, lost that fight by KO, of course. Round one, July 2018. Lost the title, blah, blah, blah. Uh, before that, he fought Francis Ngannou. Uh, he won that fight by unanimous decision, and um, that was in January 2018, and that was when he defended his belt. Uh, before that, he fought Junior Dos Santos. He won that fight by KO in round one, and that was in May 2017. Um, he also defended his belt there. He defended his belt three times in a row and um, broke the heavyweight record for most title defenses. And then he fought Cormier and lost the title. But, um, alright, let's get right into the my thoughts. So, obviously, Cormier, you know, he has Stipe's number, you know, with winning the first fight. And the way he won the fight with the devastating knockout in the first round. But, if you go back and watch that fight, Stipe was winning that, that first round pretty solidly before the ending. Um, and, you know, the fight ended literally in the last, like, 30 seconds of the round. And I think Stipe was winning that whole round until that happened uh being the bigger fighter he had Cormier backing up right away and had um octagon control right away and most of the fight as well landed some good punches as well and you know even got a fucking takedown in the first minute uh Stipe literally just made one huge fucking mistake and that was allowing himself to get latched up in Cormier's clinch and uh you know get cracked with a short shot over the top you know what I mean 
Um, one thing about Cormier is that he is fucking nasty in the clinch. You know what I mean? And you do not want to fucking fight him in there. His fucking clinch is nasty. And but the fucking shots he throws is even fucking nastier. You know what I mean? Cormier's short arms, you know, make those tight uppercuts in the clinch brutal as fuck. And he really knows how to throw them shits. Um, you know, he, you know, granted, he ended the fight with a short over the top shot uh, in the clinch. But usually his best shots in the clinch are those short uppercuts, um, which he landed a couple times this fight as well. Um, do, 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 where was that? Also, it's a good it's it's good to point out that Stipe had control and was winning the fucking fight again. You know what I mean? Up until he got caught with an eye poke by DC, uh, close to the last minute of that fucking first round. After that happened, um, is when Stipe started getting off his game a bit and got careless and just got fucking cracked by that fucking great punch. Um, you know, and of course DC wanted to land his fucking shot. Um, oh, sorry, sorry, I misread that. Um, he got, Stipe got careless after the fucking eye poke, and then he got cracked by a fucking good punch by DC after that, and then of course wanted to land a, a, land his shots to, you know, get the points back, but he got way too fucking close and let DC wrap around his fucking head for the clinch, and instead of trying to push away, Stipe just stayed in the fucking position and didn't even block, and that's when Cormier just threw that shot over the fucking top and just ended that shit, you know what I mean? Um, I picked Cormier to win that fight as well, you know, and, uh, you know, I was hyped as fuck that he did because, you know, because I'm a fan of both fighters, but more so DC. And, um, you know, I was okay with whoever won, but I picked DC to win and I won some money. I won some good money that night too. So I was pretty hyped that night. But um, regardless, after the fight and, um, you know, after watching it a few times, it shows that Stipe had firm control of that fucking fight before that fucking ending sequence. Of course, DC can win this fight because, you know, he's one of the greatest. But I think Stipe will come into this fight very cautious of that fucking clinch. But, you know, I mean, will come in more aggressive than he did the first fight, you know. Um, if, and you know, just straight up use the boxing and just use those long fucking punches, you know. If DC can get this fight to the ground, we all know how how heavy his top pressure is and, uh, you know, and how it can be. And he can definitely dominate there, but with a fighter as big as Stipe, and also as good a wrestler as him, it's hard to see, uh, you know, DC keeping him down for too long before uh, Stipe works his way back up, you know. Um, unless DC, you know, gets him down and jumps on his back quick enough and locks in the rear naked choke, you know, that's his best submission, and, you know, that's his favorite submission, then, you know, of course he could end it that way as well, but I, I can't see that happening. Um... It's also been exposed in DC's fight with John Jones that he has a very, very bad fucking habit of weaving way too fucking much when dodging shots, you know what I mean? Um, which set up John Jones' head kick finish. In in the um, in the first fight with Stipe, and, uh, you know, in the first fight with Stipe and DC, he was still doing that shit. Every time Stipe was throwing uh, punches over the top, this motherfucker fucking DC was weaving down, looking like he was trying to pick something up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um... I get that it's a fucking reflex thing, but if Stipe has been working on his, uh, you know what I mean, if Stipe has been working on his fucking high kicks, that could be a very big fucking problem, and, you know, it would be stupid as fuck if Stipe didn't add that to his fucking game plan this fucking fight, especially if DC just does it no matter what, you know, it'd be stupid as fuck to not throw a fucking head kick off of the fucking punch, you know, um, I know DC may have his number, you know, but I don't see it that way, in my opinion, but, you know, I, I, I don't see this fight going the same way at all. I see this fight being completely different where Stipe has complete control of the fucking fight again. But throughout the whole fight, you know, I don't see this ending the first round either. This could this could very well be a fucking war. You know, it could be a war going five rounds. And um, even if it does, I think, um, you know, I think I'll probably have to favor Stipe. So, uh, which goes into my final pick for the fight. I see Stipe winning this time around. Uh... Again, I'm a huge fan of both and would love for DC to win again. Um, you know, because like I said, I'm more of a fan of DC than I am Stipe. But I see Stipe coming in a lot more cautious of that clinch work and just keep DC at the end of his shots and, you know, with the big reach advantage and get a few takedowns as well and win it round by round. You know, uh, DC might win a round, maybe two, but I see Stipe winning this one significantly, uh, you know, this time around and possibly setting up the rubber match unless DC retires. 
But um, yeah, I hate to say it, you know, but I think Stipe takes this one, and I cannot wait to find out. 100% okay if GC wins this shit and proves me wrong though. Um, but yeah, I got Stipe winning this one. But um, alrighty, so. That was the preview and breakdown for UFC 241, but to end the show, I'm going to mention some recent news and combat sports. So, uh, alright, if you didn't watch the this past weekend's event, it was uh, the UFC event in Uruguay, where Valentina Shevchenko successfully defended her flyweight title against Liz Carmouche, so congrats to Valentina on that. Also, on that card, the co-main event was a welterweight bout between Mike Perry and Vicente Luque, and uh, Vicente won, and Mike lost his nose. <laughs> his fucking nose got completely shattered, like, insanely bad, <laughs> and um, he had a successful surgery yesterday, I believe, so, you know, he should heal up fine. I honestly, Jesus, I, I honestly didn't have a chance to watch that event as I, um, I was out bar hopping with my good buddy Bob, shout out Bob, but uh, yeah, I was way too shit faced to pay attention to the fucking event, we was at the fucking bar and um, that sh the fight, the event was even playing and I was way too shit faced to even pay attention, <laughs> but um, yeah, speaking of my good buddy Bob, this Saturday for UFC 241, matter of fact, I'll be doing a live cast reaction on a cast box at his house with a few um a few good buddies of mine so if you guys aren't able to watch the fight you know and want to hear some funny reactions and shit uh you know please tune in it'll you know it'll more than likely be the only mma live cast on the app that night as it was when i you know first did one but you know if you um if you don't already have it downloaded download the cast box app or you can go on the website and listen to it as well at um castbox.fm but, uh, alright, back to the recent sports news. A woman's strawweight bout between Joanna Yedrichik and Michelle Karate Hadi Watterson has been made official for UFC Fight Night 161. And that is taking place in October 12th. And it will be in Tampa, Florida. I wanted, um, I wanted this fucking matchup to happen for so long. But I'm honestly happy that it's happening now and not back then. Uh, when I first wanted it, because Michelle Watterson has gotten so much better, um, you know, recently, and, uh, you know, this fight will be a lot more competitive now than it would have been if it happened a few years ago, you know, uh, fun fight. <laughs> Last recent news, uh, UFC heavyweight vet Stefan Struve postpones his retirement and will be fighting Ben Rothwell on the UFC on ESPN 7 card on uh, December 7th, and that will be taking place in Washington, D.C. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I like it. Dude's had, like, heart problems and all that shit. He should just fucking stop, honestly. But, um, alright, anyways, that is all the recent news I got today. So, you know, we'll end it at that. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. I know... I know I said I was going to do an NFL episode last week, but that didn't work out, and the person that I was supposed to do it with backed out on me, so, um, you know, I wasn't going to do a solo episode on NFL, as, you know, I don't know my shit like I, you know, like I do with MMA, I do, you know, I don't know my shit with football like I do MMA and combat sports, but, uh, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I know what I need to know. Uh, you know, to not look bad or fucking sound stupid with football or NBA, you know, I know a lot more about NBA than I do football, but, um, uh, you know, I like having a back and forth discussion with someone, uh, you know, who knows about this, um, you know, NBA or NFL, it's more of a fu uh, more fun conversation like that, you know, but, um, you know, also I won my motherfucking fantasy league last year in football, so <sighs> shit, be damned if I don't know my shit, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, the football episode will definitely be coming out very soon, and definitely before the official season starts in September, but, uh, all right, everyone, thanks again for tuning in, this was episode 16 of Nabi Podcast, I'm your host, Sani Nabi, signing the fuck out, see you guys, episode 17, peace.